Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Paneer, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. On July 1st and 2nd last year, there was violence in Western Uzbekistan's Karakalpak Sovereign Republic after proposed amendments to the Constitutional Republic. Among those the proposed changes, there were amendments that deprived Karakalpakistan of its long-standing nominal sovereign status and right to secede from Uzbekistan. That sparked protests that turned violent when Uzbek police and security forces moved to disperse the large crowd that was rallying outside the administration building in the Karakalpakistan capital in Nikus. Officially, 21 people were killed in the unrest that followed. The first round of trials connected to the violence in Karakalpakistan ended on January 31st, with all 22 defendants being found guilty. One of the defendants died four days later. There have been many questions about the investigation, the court proceedings, and the sentences that were just handed down. And to discuss the Karakal Pakistan trials, I am joined by Alishir Hamov, director of the Central Asia Due Diligence, who has written many articles about Uzbekistan, including three articles since December about the trials of protesters in Karakal Pakistan. They're all posted on Senazia Due Diligence, one word, senaziadiuediligence.uk. And Steve Sperdlow, a rights lawyer who has spent many years focusing on Central Asia and is currently an associate professor of the practice of human rights at the University of Southern California. Thank you both for joining me. And Ali Shira, I'd start with you if I could. Was there anything surprising to you about the outcome of the first round of the Karakal Pakistan trials? Uh, yes. Uh, hello. Uh, so just uh, for a clarification, the, these three articles were first published uh, by Anti-Discrimination Center Memorial. The first was under their order, and then actually we continued kind of reporting uh, in order to provide some analysis uh, for us. First of all, of the events themselves in, in the beginning of July, then the the what kind of indictment the uh, prosecutor office brought against this 22 and the, finally the the the, the verdict uh, was published a, a few days ago yeah so to talk about the the outcome the the verdict i don't think anything was kind of uh, surprising it was some kind of the expectations uh, with a very little hope that the, the government will go for Kind of some kind of compromise, maybe to sentence them, but uh, immediately kind of pardon, because this uh, kind of the conviction of these people, you know, for the moment they seven of uh, seventeen of just twenty two are going to kind of serve this sentence in prison, and uh, five, as you as you you probably know that uh, were as a kind of uh, giving uh, kind of uh, provisional term, actually, uh, or the kind of the they changed the. The, the status of uh, not to stay in the prison, but, uh, you know, uh, once again, so that's kind of provisional uh, sentence. Uh, but because this uh, conviction is uh, going against the, even the interest, long-term interests of regime, because uh, if they kind of uh, continue these repressions and uh, crack down on this uh, kind of protest, uh, which were sparked and uh, provoked by the government itself uh, when they without any consultations, uh, decided to, to change the constitutional norms, which provided some kind of very symbolic right of the Karpakistan to uh, succeed, uh, for, to exit from Uzbekistan, if the majority of population would vote for that. Uh, so this totally was provoked by the, 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 by the government, and so the protests were not surprising. So now, if they go kind of continue kind of this uh, 
uh, this line of suppression, uh, then actually one can expect uh, as a possible, quite possible scenario, the, the developments go along the scenario is very similar to Kosovo. Because we're in the Kosovo, in the, which started in the 1981, it was very kind of very small scale protest, but the government responded very harsh by kind of suppressing, uh, persecuting, and also killing people, and then actually launched this uh, kind of the the spiral kind of development, which uh, eventually brought the, the, this case to the f- to full independence of Kosovo from, from Serbia. So something similar can happen, actually, practically in Uzbekistan, and uh, this actually the, the government itself, the authorities themselves, are contributing to this kind of scenario in Uzbekistan. I absolutely not have any kind of uh, kind of illusion about the decision to uh, was uh, having been made by the the presidential office, not by the court, because the court is still in Uzbekistan judiciary is not independent. So most likely it was kind of uh, brought from the top, and uh, they just uh, they are, you know announced this decision. So that uh, my my guess and my uh, I, I think it's actually it was decided on the top by the government. With a very small uh, kind of compromise, very small compromise, very negligible, of uh, kind of by releasing uh, from the prison, uh, from this kind of uh, prison centers, the, there's only five people, while the, the rest, around 70 people, were convicted and uh, Taji Muratov is going to serve 16 years. Uh, despite the, all the kind of the uh, indictment points were absolutely politically motivated, uh, absurd, and uh, going against the, even the constitution of Uzbekistan, not to say about uh, international law. Okay, thank you. And, you know, just to give our audience a little bit more information about who was on trial, Steve, I'm going to turn to you. Can you tell me a little bit about Daulet um, Murat, uh, Taji Muratov, and Lulugul Kalihanova. And they, were, they received the harshest sentences, and yet... Taji Muratov is going to prison, and um, Kalahanova is actually, she's guilty, but she's not going to prison. Can you tell us a little bit about the characters and uh, the people involved in the trials? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Lalegul Kalahanova is a journalist, and she, in the process of Karakalpak Civil Society reacting to these proposed amendments to strip the sovereign status of the Republic of, of Karakalpaksnan, she led discussions. She had a popular telegram channel, which was discussing the constitutional rights, the rights under the, the constitution of Uzbekistan uh, to, to, to protest, again, peacefully. Um, she discussed the legality. She was, she was one of the people that was engaging in this really important dialogue. You know, and, and again, we have to put this in context that this is several years uh, into a process whereby the government and the president most prominently have repeatedly at least tried to emphasize in many public speeches that this is not, this was not Islam Karim of Uzbekistan. This was a new, so-called new Uzbekistan where dialogue with the people was supposed to be a fundamental principle. Uh, whether or not Lalugul Kalkhanava you know, was naive or was strategic, it's, it's hard to understand. But, but, but she was leading a telegram channel that had many thousands of people on it. And she was calling for a discussion, discussing the legality of these amendments. Um, she was quickly arrested for for having that discussion. Daulet Tajimuratov uh, was a well-known blogger, a lawyer, and he had long really been a thorn in the side of, of Karakal Pakistan's authorities, uh, had had public, not feuding, but he, he had raised concerns about corruption on the part of several officials in Karakal Pakistan, 
And he was a really respected figure in the Karl Kapok community. There are videos where we can see uh, in the days of the, of the protest on July 1st, first of all, what's really important to note here is that he called for peaceful protests. There's several references to that. There's really no evidence of, of a call to violence. And if you look in, and see the way people reacted to him, the way he was treated, uh, and the issue, of course, of his, his very detention was what sparked much of the violence on July 1st. It really shows uh, what sort of figure he was, what sort of figure he is, and now you know, following this conviction, I think uh, in many ways, and, and, and as, as Alisher really brilliantly stated, by doing this, by conducting the trial in this way, and by giving these sentences that are so harsh, 16 years, including under Article 159, which was one of President Karimov's favorite charges for going after political opponents and dissidents, what the government has done is, you know, really made a, made a martyr in a sense, or tr- transformed Taj Muratov into an even more powerful symbol of these underlying issues of Karakalpakstan's status and all the issues that go along with that, that were fueling this, these protests, such as the right to uh, have an education uh, in, in the Karakalpak language, the, all the economic issues, the environmental issues, the issues of local government, self-autonomy, of, of, of the way resources are, 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 are drawn up and divvied up. These are things that people like Tajimuratov and Kalikhanova were, you know, they were important mediators of these really, uh, these really important discussions. And, and as Ali Sher said, uh, you know, Laligul, her role in this trial was was absolutely. It was really important. Uh, if you if you if you argue that this was a very stage managed process, uh, the Uzbek government really got the result that they wanted at the end of this, when Laligul expressed contrition and and was in tears. Not not just at the end, but during the trial, uh, she gave you know tearful statements in which she expressed apologies in which she she did still make some references to official inaction, sort of pointing the finger implicitly at, at local officials for not doing enough. But more or less, I, I think she said what the government wanted her to say, which was take responsibility away from the government for for the way they, they handled this and, and place it on the protesters, which is really, again, at the, there's this cognitive dissonance about the severity of what happened, uh, 21 people killed, mass protests larger than perhaps even the Andijan protests of 2005, and to place all that blame on these 22 individuals and now the, the new trial of, of 39 more individuals that, that began this week, is it, it just does not add up. And so while the government got the result they wanted in some sense in the short term, I think as Ali Sher just said, they planted the seeds for for further problems down the road. Yes, by, right. by, by the you. way, this uh, just to, sorry for interruption. So the twenty one is according to the official data reports, but uh, according to the more independent kind of sources, uh, seventy seven at least were killed. So that was not something reported by the kind of dissidents or the, by the those uh, you know, dissidents in exile, but uh, by the the medical personnel in in Nukus. and it was report uh, cited by the local press by Gazeta that Uz. Yeah, I think that's an important observation that Ali Sher makes, which is, which is that after this long trial, which lasted two months, and you know, a, a lot of attention was paid or uh, was made by government observers to to the supposed openness of the trial, which really included. We can go into more of the, the specifics of the trial, but 
it it was reported that the trial was was going to be live streamed and was open to the public, but in in actuality, we really only saw about five days or so of it live streamed. But amidst this supposed openness of the trial, there's still no there's still no official list of the names of the dead, as Ali Sher has said. Which again is at the very heart of this is this question of who died, um, who did what to whom, when, where, and how. That was for the interest you know, of the of, of the this uh, the political regime to disclose the names of the policemen who ostensibly were, uh, died, actually were killed, but they didn't. Uh, so it's kind of uh, putting some doubts on the, whether it was really the case that uh, the policemen, actually the law enforcement, some of them actually were uh, killed. This is good. Now, uh, thank you. And we're going to come back to all these points. I want to paint as clear a picture as possible for our audience. Steve, you mentioned that they were live streaming the trial, but then they stopped. Am I right that the last person that that was te- that gave testimony during the live stream was actually Taji Murata, right? I I believe so. But we you know we lo- we we didn't see all of that, and there were there were a lot of concerns about whether or not the the restriction of live streaming was due to. It was due to critical remarks. I mean, Taji Muratov was amazing in the sense that um, he he spoke of ill treatment and highly worrying concerns of torture while in detention. I mean, he he was the only person that did not play the part that you could say that that the Uzbek government w- would have wanted. Yes, he he uh, the, uh, the the last moment he asked for requested for a location, a special day, the separate day to to. Uh, to give them the floor uh, for his li- li- uh, last speech. And uh, I don't know whether they gave him or not, but uh, he spoke, I think, around uh, one and a half hours. And actually, I would just uh, praise him for this, uh, not only for kind of being a courageous per- person who didn't kind of uh, admit that he's, uh, uh, he's guilty, actually, largely. He maybe admitted maybe very few, kind of, on the very few points of, uh, of indictments, but uh, largely he didn't admit he's guilty. And so he was quite professional. He's, by the way, but his professional background is uh, a lawyer. And he acted quite professionally along the whole process of uh, this uh, trial. Uh, so asking the, the questions uh, to kind of the, the whole who were kind of reporting against him. So unfortunately, some of these uh, defendants uh, started kind of making accusations against him, most likely kind of due to the uh, some kind of uh, deal be- behind the door with the uh, with uh, with uh, investigation, so so uh, speak something, uh, report something against Tajimuratov, and we will we'll do our best to kind of to maybe to to make easier to your uh, sentence. So uh, and uh, th- he was one of the very few who actually acted and behaved quite worse. But in the same time, he was, as I said, professional, and he kind of uh, provided some a number of. Uh, very serious, uh, convincing, actually, uh, counter-arguments against Iguodiklans, and in fact, actually, he actually himself proved that the, uh, the, all the, the whole indictment was just uh, falsified, kind of fabricated against him. Okay, great, thank you. Um, I'm going to get into the, a little bit about the trial process here, too, and I'll start with you, Alishir. I was reading uh, uh, one of the reports that came out of Gazeta.us, and they had asked one of the relatives of one of the people who had been convicted for their, you know, some comments, and uh, this relative, who, of course, was kept uh, anonymous, um, said they were all charged with the same thing. But some people got let go and some people got three years. And, and then some people, you know, Taji Murata got 16 years. How do you make sense of that? It, 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 
kind of showed that they were really from the start, the court was out to get specifically Taji Muratov and, and Kalihanov. You know, there is a kind of a lot of absurdity in all this kind of the points of indictment against uh, all these uh, defendants. Uh, for us, starting with uh, Taji Muratov himself, uh, the one of the key points of the indictment was uh, kind of trying to combine two different uh, uh, chapters uh, of of uh, the criminal code. Very ridiculously, actually, one sentence, uh, one chapter through another one. So eventually, probably, they understood that quest was quite absurd. So they abandoned uh, at the end in his in his in this uh, final verdict. They dropped that uh, that point, this argument. Uh, so yes, indeed, others actually received uh, different uh, sentences, which were with reference to the same chapter on the criminal code. And my guess is because of that. Kind of was some due to the some negotiation behind the door. Okay, you do something uh, on the on the kind of during this trial, maybe uh, making some some accusations of Taji Muratov, uh, putting all the kind of uh, burden of responsibility upon him, uh, in order to 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 get some uh, easier kind of sentence against uh, this uh, kind of defendants. So uh, probably the, due to this different kind of agreement between this uh, the, the the authorities uh, in investigation and the defendants they came up with these different sentences uh, with reference to the same as i said uh, chapter of the criminal court okay thanks and we are about at the halfway point so that is uh, time for me to remind that this is the Medjilis podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Benier, host of the Medjilis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. And I am joined today by Steve Sverdlov, a rights lawyer who has spent many years focusing on Central Asia and is currently an associate professor of the practice of human rights at the University of Southern California and Alishir Ohamov. Director of Central Asia Due Diligence, who has written many articles about Uzbekistan, including three recent articles since December about the trials of the protesters. And he gave us the, uh, another website that you can find it on, those three articles on. But I will repeat that is all, those three articles are also available on senaziadudiligence.uk. Uh, we're talking about the trials of Karakal Pakistan protesters. Uh, the first round has ended. But a new one with 39 defendants is just beginning. Ali Shir, can you tell me who these 39 people are? I have no idea. Some some kind of participants, but for the moment they didn't. They just provided a list of those people, uh, but without kind of clarification what uh, reason for they were kind of brought to the court. Actually, we still, you know, there is some latest uh, report that they finally kind of uh, convicted or the, no, not convicted, but they brought some charges against three representatives of the law enforcement. Probably responding to this criticism that uh, you see, the, the so many people were killed, and uh, there are some evidence they used the, the, the guns, kind of the uh, not just the, the the instruments for kind of kind of regulating or kind of some misbehavior by the protesters, but uh, kind of using the guns uh, to to kill some people. Uh, some grenades, some some uh, pieces of uh, grenade, and some in the body on the, in the head. So there was some kind of evidence of that, actually, and so they didn't have any kind of the choice but to 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 present some some evidence that also bringing some charges against the law enforcement. But it's three people; they didn't uh, name them for, for the moment, unfortunately, and so it's unclear where they will actually brought to the court. Right, and just to to add um, to answer your question, Bruce, about this new group of thirty nine. Among them, there are said to be two reporters. One of them is Abdi Malik 
Hoja Nazarov, who runs a, he's the chief editor of a paper called El Izmitinde, and he's accused of publishing articles containing separatist themes. But again, it's it's a, a potpourri of the types of charges that that have already been raised in the first trial, violence, arson, vandalism, rioting. And it's, again, it's it's always uh, released in a fashion where it's very difficult to understand the the underlying facts. And there's still really a, just a lack of transparency with regard to the investigation. Uh, much of the video that we know, uh, the CCT footage that, that was taken during the days of the protest, much of that still hasn't been released. So we're just getting bits and pieces. And, and as Ali Sher said, we, we don't know enough about the three law enforcement officers, what rank they held, uh, what decisions they made. And this has taken seven months to, to release the names of the three law enforcement officers. But of course, that is significant. It seems to be, in my, my opinion, that, that the announcement of those charges is a, is a reaction to the pressure and the continued scrutiny on this process. And it's it's of course important that this happened, but again, it it seems it's there. There's so many missing pieces here, from the names of the dead to what we know about the law enforcement officials, to the videos, to now this uh, this news of the death in custody of uh, of someone who was part of the first trial, who was convicted of six years, Polat Shamsetov, uh, Shamsetov, who who died, and and there's also a lot of questions surrounding his death. And that's perfect. Thank you very much for helping me with that transition because I didn't want to forget to talk about him. Alexander, this is not just an, you know, I, I hate to use the word ordinary. I mean, but the, uh, Shamshetov uh, has some distinctions from the other de- other defendants, the people that were uh, just convicted. I mean, he, he died four days later, but he's not, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, not just another Karakal Puck. He's actually got a historical link, or his father certainly, to the region. Can you talk about him a little? Palat Shamshetov. Palat Shamshetov is uh, the son of the Dalit by uh, Shamshetov, who was the reportedly the first uh, and the last president uh, of uh, Karpakistan. And uh, first, on the beginning of uh, uh, 1991, he was uh, elected the. the the, the chairperson of the the Supreme Council, uh, the, the the Parliament of uh, Karpakistan. But there was some report. Uh, unfortunately, I, I tried to find uh, the evidence, kind of reference to the specific publications. I couldn't find it actually. But if if you go to the Wikipedia and also the this the media reports, for instance, by Gazeta that us, they uh, saying that he was the first president. So ostensibly, in November 1991, he was. Probably likely elected not by the you know in general elections but through the by the the, the supreme court by the parliament as a first president. There was a period of so-called the parade of uh, sovereignty kind of the when the many kind of former Soviet republics, both the Union republics and the autonomous republics, tried to use this, uh, the opportunity to to acquire the full independence. Kazakhstan was one of them. Because the kind of the mass conscience among the Karpaksaks was quite very high due to the, you know, this uh, ecological uh, environmental disaster the, the the republic suffered during the late Soviet period, and so there was a number of local civil society organizations quite prominent who joined this in, environmental movement. It was quite uh, evidently was. Uh, 
expanded to the mass movement for greater independence at that time. So the Dawlet by you know, some setter probably realized it kind of also opportunity for himself to, to get acquainted and he created, you know, established his own party. But uh, already on the following uh, year, uh, because it was the, the very kind of this introduction in Russia, or this new position of president was a challenge to Uzbekistan, to Karimov, uh, who couldn't t- tolerate the two presidents in the country, one president of Uzbekistan, another is, uh, of Karpakistan. Uh, with a kind of evident, uh, with a kind of probably intention, he suspected that the Karpaks uh, wanted and uh, headed by this, uh, dolled by some set of succeed from succeed from from the from Uzbekistan. So he uh, used all kind of means. Uh, first of all, law enforcement, the, the violent means, in order to to force some set of to resign on the following year, in 1992, and then actually they they brought to the kind of the position of the chairperson of uh, and the, the the very position of uh, president uh, was abandoned totally, and so they returned back to this uh, position of the chairperson of the Supreme Council. Uh, and they kind of managed to promote their own person who is lo- loyal to Tashkent. Uh, but now, kind of in the kind of public memory, they're still kind of uh, memorizing uh, th- those uh, times. And uh, Samshadev is uh, very much associated with the very idea of independence and the sovereignty of Karpakistan. And so that's why the, his son has probably become a kind of a symbolic figure. Even if he didn't intend to, to kind of to take a lead of this movement, uh, the many people were expecting for him to, to take this lead. So, and so he's claiming that he just went to the street to see what is going on, uh, but he didn't have any intention to lead this uh, movement, his protest. But uh, regardless of that, probably those big authorities decided that he's a very dangerous figure. Uh, because it's very much associated uh, as a symbol with uh, the very idea of independence. So they brought him, arrested him, and uh, brought to the cast, uh, to, to this court. And I don't know, uh, giving this kind of in line, all these kind of uh, developments and the motivation to his death is, uh, looks a little bit suspicious to me. You know, the, what, what is really behind this, uh, this case? You know, the, whether it was indeed kind of heart attack as uh, official authorities reporting, or maybe it was something else. Thank you, and that's good because this gets me to Steve. I have this is for you. This question um, brings us kind of over to to the larger point. But uh, the, you know, the, the preliminary findings of the of the doctor were that I'm sure you probably saw this too. He, he um, Shamshetam smoked too much, and he was under a lot of stress. And the combination ended up being the reason that killed him. And of course, our friend Muzaffar Silimanov said, "Could the, the the stress have come from him actually being imprisoned and and being recently convicted?" Um, but, you know, we've all of us have watched the trials in Uzbekistan going back to the bad Karimov days, the Andijan massacre and stuff. So so this really raises a question. Now, here, here's this prominent or a prominent figure in Karakalpak society, someone who could be a potential leader. He's convicted. He dies in prison. Days not even hadn't even made it to prison. Still in custody. Uh, he dies four days later. You know, you, you said at the start of the show that we hear about the new Uzbekistan, but but does this trial process, does it look different from the old days? And if so, how? You know, Bruce, it's, it, it, it's one of those questions that forces everyone that has been, in a way, cheerleading the reform process. I, I, I think it's, you know, to, to take a really hard look at what's happening. Of course, there are differences between 
the the trials after the Andijan massacre, for example, which were, first of all, not you know not live streamed. The technology is one of the differences between 2005 and and 2023, and you know there was a much cruder way that the government at that time went about pressuring observers, uh, restricting observers uh, at the time, uh, you know, detaining uh, when I was working for Human Rights Watch, detaining uh, our own colleague during that period and after. So this trial, yes, it it was characterized in some ways by some aspects of openness. Of course, we were. It was great that the Economist correspondent Joanna Lillis was there. Nabahori Imamova from the Voice of America was there. But notably, despite multiple requests, the government did not, and not even the parliamentary commission, this independent commission, we can talk about that, didn't really engage in real time with the questions that international human rights organizations had, observers like, uh, human rights observers like myself had, and we sought to be involved, we sought to engage in this process, and, and we were really not able to do so. In fact, we saw I'm not sure exactly what day it was, but in the very recent weeks, we saw the Independent Commission hit back at statements that were made by Human Rights Watch. And and I, when I read this press release from the Independent Con- Commission, uh, it really did remind me of, of 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 an earlier period in the way that they were angrily reacting to criticism rather than engaging with that criticism, rather than answering these questions like who died, who did what to whom, when, where, and how. Uh, more more energy and in fact a lot of resources seem to be spent on this stage management on on this appearance of openness rather than a meaningful transparent investigation in which you would answer the questions that we've been raising so i i think the trial uh leaves observers like myself incredibly uncomfortable about where this is going and there there are so many there are so many unresolved issues of course you know what the referendum, the constitutional referendum, was aiming at its heart to do, which was reset the clock for the president to be able to run again for for another two terms. These issues really they strike at the very heart of this narrative, and I think that uh, the only way to resolve those questions would be for the president, you know, to answer questions, uh, to to hold a press conference. Uh, we, but we haven't seen. We haven't seen that those sorts of things really since since the very beginning. Even even in the most open year of the reform reform process, 2017, 2018, we didn't see that type of engagement. But now I think yes, this trial is a real milestone in the wrong direction for this for, for the changes that we've seen in Uzbekistan. Uh, to the best of your knowledge, has President Mirziyoyev even commented on the trials? I mean, he, he was, you know, obviously he said a lot in July, right after it happened. But has he said anything since? Did I haven't remember? seen any reports of, of of him commenting on the trial. Have you, Ali Sher? No, I ha- haven't seen. But you know, his his kind of uh, behavior during those events was quite kind of contradictory. You know, the on the one hand, he made kind of right decision to. To kind of to recall those the draft amendments, you know, the, which were the cause of this uh, protest, and but at the same time, kind of uh, the, the government tried to block all kind of internet and the mobile internet, so the people, very few people, would have uh, kind of uh, be informed on time about this uh, uh, kind of decision to to recall those uh, you know uh, draft amendments. So the people can still kind of were driving to the to the streets. Uh, many of them probably were not knowing the, about this decision. So the first of all, blocking this uh, information communication, uh, and second, kind of immediately trying to uh, pacify by using the force. 
uh, he probably gave the instruction uh, order to to kind of to restore the order within maybe one two days, not tolerating the longer process. While he had a choice to to give some time to to get some kind of the the moods to be kind of uh, pacified, kind of calm down during maybe longer period of time, and that actually would be kind of kind of uh, bringing to less kind of casualties and uh, the death death. But now, what uh, his decision probably to immediately to restore the order in his understanding. Um, they created a problem, I know. Uh, the second problem. The first was the, the draft amendments, and the second is the kind of the intention to restore the order immediately within one, two days. He succeeded in this respect, but uh, it was the huge, at the very high cost for, for the Karpakistan and for even for the whole Uzbekistan. So the, even, even not kind of saying anything in the public, they, you kind of you, uh, you you by your behavior you sending certain messages. Well, one message was just uh, let's kind of strike the compromise, and the second message let's kind of uh, put everything in order, kind of and without kind of considering the cost. Okay, uh, thank you. But I also want to get your your impressions. Uh, you know, your comments on on this trial. Does it differ from the ones we saw in Karimov's era? Um, you know, I mean, you had all the def- all the defendants almost uh, except for Tajim Muratov confessed that they said they were guilty. Ask for you know forgiveness for what they did. Some of the defendants actually went after the the principal defendant that the government really wanted, Taji Muratov. You know, I mean, we we talked about Andijan, but we could go even further back. The, the Tashkent bombings in 1999 and the trials that followed that it also characterized by this same kind of testimony from defendants uh, confessing guilt, uh, implicating other people that the government had, had targeted or. Uh, designated as the ringleaders. Um, is there anything different about these trials than the ones during the Korea era? You know, once again, uh, get, uh, getting back to this uh, Anjijani ones, uh, I, I agree with uh, uh, Steve. Indeed, actually, there is a, the big, uh, the, the 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 main difference is the kind of more openness, actually, more freedom of press, which is kind of should be acknowledged. So. The, the whole kind of, uh, Mirziyoyev presidency actually distinguished by the more kind of, uh, the freedom of press and the very fact that most of information I received about the trial, uh, not from the foreign media, not from, uh, Ferganaru or from the Azad League, but from, from the local kind of mass media outlet from Gazeta Daz Ud, uh, Gazeta Dat Uz and, uh, or Kun Uz. So this is kind of some kind of achievements indeed. Uh, and the second is uh, commission in the so-called independence. I put actually in, in the uh, kind of uh, comma because the it's so-called independent commission was dominated by the MPs who are themselves uh, representing this rather puppet parties. So I ha- don't have any illusions about what would be the result of this uh, involvement of this uh, so-called independent commission. But still, kind of uh, symbolically, it's important to, to have at least a such a commission. But uh, to one, kind of, will be fair to to build some parallels with Andijant on the, from the following three criteria. First of all, the events there and here actually were uh, sparked, actually con- uh, provoked by the by the government themselves, by authorities themselves. In Nanjijan, they tried to put in prison those uh, businessmen representing Akramia kind of community uh, without any kind of uh, you know evidence. Uh, it was politically motivated kind of trial. And here too, actually, the, this draft amendment. So it got totally provoked by the by the government. Secondly, 
absence of due, uh, due process and the justice. So in both cases, we see the kind of trials where, which are kind of politically motivated, uh, very arbitrary kind of indictments uh, brought against them. Uh, and, this, and the third is uh, that uh, the, those kind of the harsh sentences uh, to, to this given to these people. So from this, uh, from this point of view, uh, kind of some parallels, some comparisons are quite justified. Well, the people, some people on the ground uh, disagree, I had some kind of discussion with some people, there some cl- uh, claiming that it's absolutely different from those events in Adizan. But uh, I think at, according to at least two, three criteria, it will be quite fair to, to, to make these parallels. Okay, thank you. Um, Steve, is it fair to call this a show trial, what's happening with the Karakalpak protesters? I'd say, I'd say highly orchestrated. And uh, I, I do agree with Ali Sher uh, on this point of the press, and it, it, it is notable. I mean, Gazeta Uz, Kun Uz, they've been, they've continued to do their job as best as they possibly can. And that, was it a show trial? I think certain aspects of it were. I think certainly these, you know, it, it's just uncanny, and uh, it, it raises too many questions that, 21 out of 22 defendants would point the finger at one, even if you just looked at the the body language, if you looked at the, the way people were sitting. I think in particular, there was the athlete uh, on trial, in the, fir- in the first trial, Azamat Tordanov, who had rallied to Taji Muratov's defense during the events, during the days uh, of the protests, and had sort of protected him and, uh, you know, been such an important sort of supporter of this process. He points the finger at Taji Muratov and says it was all him. I think, I mean, that made me deeply uncomfortable because it, it was obvious that the pressure on the defendants was unprecedented. And and that's not to say that in any criminal justice system and in any criminal trial, obviously there's going to be pressure, but there were concerns from the beginning and especially let's, let's, uh, focus on what's most important, which is concerns of ill treatment and torture, which Taji Morata says at one point during the trial, he says, they sat on our heads and we lost consciousness. Um, and the fact that you had that happening, and at the same time, as Alishar has helpfully pointed out, in the Independent con- Commission, um, yes, you had voices that, again, this is a- another difference with Andy John, I guess you could say, uh, the fact that you had Azam Farmonov, a former political prisoner himself, who I know very well, who was imprisoned in Karakalpakstan for something ranging on nine years. He is part of this commission. He knows Karakalpakstan well. That's important. But at the same time, the independent commission's statements were mirroring and incredibly parallel and almost not different at all than what the government was doing and saying, what the executive branch was saying, what the prosecutor general's office was saying. And so that aspect of of stage management, uh, of coordination, I think that should make us uncomfortable. I think that should make us very uncomfortable because what an independent commission is supposed to do is really answer questions, create space for dialogue. And there was this sense throughout this process of, 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 of most of these voices, including the commission saying, we've answered your questions, stop asking questions, everything is fine, everything is okay. And so I think there are some complicated, complex processes underway here, and and I do you know I do believe that some of the people in that in that process in that commission are, were, were were trying to work towards more transparency. But the strongest forces, the determinative forces here at the end of the day, 
I think, are you know, in the security forces, the prosecutor, prosecutor general, and ultimately, again, at, at the highest, the highest level of, of the Uzbek government, that I think wanted a certain result. Sorry, one just one additional point, if I may. Just uh, probably the the government uh, decided uh, wanted to to make this uh, trial a kind of a show trial by providing some openness and transparency, broadcasting from from the court uh, uh, room. This was uh, kind of was promising to be indeed such a kind of good uh, show in terms of at least uh, openness and kind of giving opportunities to uh, everyone in the, in, in the kind of among the defenders, the, the floor to opportunity to speak up and so on. Uh, but at a certain point, as already Steve uh, mentioned, actually they decided to stop broadcasting uh, very unexpectedly. In my understanding, uh, it was because the, some kind of compromising details were, the details compro- uh, compromising for the government was revealed when the Taji Muratov uh, started speaking about torture he uh, kind of uh, suffered from the law enforcement, while the government tried to, and the independent, so-called independent commission tried to make a point there was no independence, no, no mis- uh, treatment, there were no complaints during this uh, people being in, in custody. But the, what uh, the Tajimuradov reported was contradicting to, to these claims. He said that he himself was tortured at least twice, heavily beaten. And so my understanding, my guess is that uh, after this kind of uh, revelations, and also the, his, uh, his report that when he read the, the material of investigation, he also saw uh, the kind of references to the cases when the people were killed by the, by the gun, by gunshot uh, or the, by, by grenade. So these two kind of the evidence which appeared and, and during this court hearing were kind of very much uh, compromising for the, for the government. So my guess is that the, the, they decided to, to stop broadcasting due to this reason. So that's why... So one hardly can uh, kind of claim this is a, really a show because it's so failed show for, for the government because uh, eventually that was kind of big gap in terms of transparency. Right. And, and, and Bruce, I don't know to what extent this is, I, I'm not posing a direct connection between the trial and this, but, you know, we also had happening during the trial, um, you know, in in Tashkent, you know, which is certainly not in Bukhara, but in Tashkent, you had actually a raid and detention of a number of journalists, including uh, journalists from this outlet named uh, Human which was again. There, we still we're still waiting for more facts. Uh, these journalists were raided for so-called well, the charges of extortion. Looks like financial crimes, but that still is uh, you know that's something that we hadn't seen yet. In this number of people being uh, detained over the past several years, and of course we think back a, a, a year or so ago to the blogger Otabek Sotori, uh, who was given a, a, a prison sentence. And so steadily but surely, there seems to be, and this trial I think unfortunately is has to be put in that ledger of a return to, you know, to, to older habits in, in Uzbekistan, unfortunately. Wow. Well, uh, yeah, I, I have to agree with that. You know, there's a lot more we could say about this, but unfortunately, we are out of time at the moment. I'm sure we're going to be returning to this topic again very soon. Um, so I hope I, I have you both. I'm sure I'll have you both back on the program again. But but I'd like to thank you both. Uh, thank you, Alishir, and thank you, Steve, for being on the program. Uh, and a big thank you to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medley's podcast producer in Washington, D.C., 
And a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjilis podcast or the Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye.